Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. What a great, great testimony song. If ever I love thee, my Jesus, I'll be growing. We learned that from 2 Peter chapter 1. You had to add to your faith a long list of graces. It ends with charity. If ever I loved you, Lord, it is now. And I hope that's a growing love in your heart for the Lord. Good to have you here this morning. Starting a kind of a newer series, Family Matters. And we take your Bibles, please, this morning. Go to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I realize, fully realize that many of you are not married, perhaps not even seeking to be married. That's fine. God, His providence and Will doesn't have everybody getting married, but this is a, a series that will hopefully touch all elements of family life, from children, adults, parents, maybe we'll even throw the grandparents in there in, in one of the messages, but it's great to uh, have this opportunity just to kind of remind you, as Peter said, to stir up your minds by way of remembrance of things that perhaps you already know, and this just to be reassured of in terms of our families pleasing the Lord. Well, uh, what did God have in mind when he put us together in families? Genesis chapter 2, hope you're there. We see uh, the institution of marriage put in place by the Lord himself. And we'll begin reading in verse number 15, please. Verse number 15 of Genesis chapter 2. And before we read, let's pray together. Father, how good it is for you to have the master plan of the ages. And thank you for bringing to us a Savior who redeemed us and then bringing to to fore the mystery of the church and uh, teaching us that we are to love our our wives as you love the church, as a really display, a portrait of your grace in our homes. May we take wisely the stewardship of this example. Thank you for the homes you've given us in our church. I'm deeply moved and thankful, grateful for every family that's here. Lord, we're all imperfect. We're all growing. So I pray that we would reflect even more Uh, accurately the grace of God that's been shed abroad in our hearts. Thank you for the lessons today. We pray that we'd take them to heart and improve no matter what stage of life we're in. Married or unmarried, I pray that this would be good medicine for our soul. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What did God have in mind when He, in His infinite wisdom, created us male and female, and I don't know if you've noticed this, but God, I don't know if it's a sense of humor, if just God in His great wisdom made us so different, not just physio- physiologically, but in all kinds of ways, between how we think, how we look at life, how we relate, feel, communicate, process facts. Why did God do that? And then not only did He create men and women, but He, he in His wonderful, infinite plan, wise plan, He says, now I want to institute Marriage, where for a lifetime, right, bound by covenant, a man and woman were supposed to uh, put together a family and come together and reflect the glory and grace of God. I don't want you to raise your hand, certainly, but sometimes the differences that we sense between men and women are hugely evident in our marriages. I don't know uh, if you've rec- recognized that in your life, how different we think, feel, relate, men and women, that is. Have you ever had this happen? You drive into a 15-acre parking lot with your sweet wife at your side, and you pull into a spot, and your wife looks at you and says, seriously, this spot? And you think, well, yes, 
No, honey, I'm just testing this spot to to see if it's the right one. And I'm going to keep driving to find the spot that's right. We don't think the same about a lot of things, parking included. And so I, I know that God has a wonderful plan, but he's, and there's one man said, you know, men and women ought to live on different planets and, and stay there instead of getting married. It'd be a lot peaceful, more peaceful on the earth. But God, as we see in the creative work of God has for us here in Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, God placed us together. It was his plan in the garden, and now he has for us the institution ordained called marriage. And so let's read about that first marriage, chapter 2, and let's begin reading with verse 15. The Lord took the man, put him into the garden of Eden to dress and keep it. In other words, he was the custodian of the garden, the gardener, so to speak, and he had control and charge of the work of keeping the garden, even in the idyllic stage before sin entered. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him or fit for him. And out of the ground the Lord then formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Adam, also on top of being custodian of the garden, was the one who gave every creature names. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle. That's a full-time job, wasn't it? And the fowl of the air to every beast of the field. But for Adam, note please, there was not found an help meet for him. We're going to take a minute and Look at what that word, those words mean, help meet. And the Lord God calls, caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, here we see, the institution of marriage, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. By the way, there are no fathers and mothers in the garden yet, nor are there children. And shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. I've mentioned that God on purpose made us differently and then brought us together. And you might ask the question this morning, so why in the world would God come up with this institution? You might say, well, I know, it's to populate the world. Well, uh, if that's the only reason God calls us together in marriage, and we look around us today, there's, what, over 8 billion or so people, I think well, the job is done. We've, we have accomplished that, and God can say, okay, now the institution of marriage can cease. Uh, we can abolish that, because there's plenty of people out there, and we know that you don't have to be married and have children. We know that. I think that The recent report is that over 40% of children in America are born uh, without uh, married parents. And so we know that children can be brought into the world without the institution of marriage. And then we have lots of people that say, now, uh, I I know um, the reason God made this this institution of marriage is that, well, you know, that we can legitimize the lusts of the heart and, and make sex okay. So he's putting it in the context of marriage. And you know, there's, there's more to this idea of marriage in our text today than just 
making procreation or the pleasure of procreation part of the scene. So what is it that God intended for a biblical marriage? The title this morning is just Bible Basics for Marriage. Some of these things you will know by heart by now because you've been around good churches for uh, most of your life. But what is it that God wants for us? There are so many folks today that say, well, God's ways are out of style or out of fashion. There's a new culture in place that says we ought to just explore our options. The culture today is very big into that. And if marriage, by the way, is so hard and men and women are so different, why should we even continue the institution of marriage? It's difficult to stay married and be married and to love one woman and one man all your life. Why ever commit at all to vows that last a lifetime? Well, options are not God's way of doing things. It's very popular in our country. I have a pastor friend who says... uh, He says this, we have lost sight of American exceptionalism and we've renamed it to American optionalism. It's a phrase that he coined himself, American optionalism. What is that? Well, he says he believes that uh, the old time idea that we ought to be married to one person all our lives has gone by the way and loyalties to one company and the options that we have in America are so wonderful. It's great to have all the options, including uh, the options when it comes to being married. He says, if you don't like your job, he's noticed, well, get rid of it. Your boss, choose another. If you don't like your church or pastor, go online. There's plenty of options. Stay at home. If you don't like your family, leave them. Find another family. Find a new one. If you don't like your teacher in school, go to a new school. If you don't like your baby, abort it. It's your choice. It's your option. You heard this? It is the American sense of optionalism, as he called it. Why not? After all, if we as individuals have the authority to choose our own way, why not choices? If your gender doesn't suit you, what? Just reassign it. Regardless of the biology, regardless of the facts, just say three times, once I was a boy, now I'm a girl. And like magic, poof, you have a new identity. It's just that easy. Americans, they say, live in the sense and in the world of options. Do we ever, as believers, have an option to disobey God? Answer, no. He is the ultimate rule and authority. Romans 1.22 says this, professing themselves, these who are casting off the authority of God and His Word, the source of truth, professing themselves to be wise, they became what? Fools. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to what? A reprobate or twisted, a mind that's broken according to the truths of God's Word. Often we on television hear these debates between what we consider traditional conservative thought and this new idea of a a twisted culture or reprobate mind and we wonder well don't don't they just get it can't they just see the facts a a girl is always a girl boy is always a boy but the issue with that and it often frustrates me because as a pastor I know what the real issue is it isn't the facts the facts don't matter it is the authority of God And when you rebel against the authority of God in your life, the source of truth is removed, the anchor point, the foundation. The real battle in our culture is not a battle of 
gender identity and whether or not you have the opportunity to choose your own identity, it is the fact that we as a people don't like God in our lives and like His authority in our lives. And so God, the Bible says in Romans 1, gives us over to what? A reprobate mind. And we reap the consequences of our own choices. Well, today, we're going to find out what God says about marriage, its foundation, its function, and its focus. No outline on the screen, but there it is for you. Marriage's foundation, its main function and focus. Marriage basics biblically. We've read the verses, but look again at verse number 18, Genesis chapter 2. In your Bibles, please. God said, the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Well, why do we get married? Often I ask that question to those in premarital counseling. So why, why do you want to be married? Well, (laughs) the answers vary, don't they? We just love each other. We just feel it in our gut, right here. We just feel that we're right for it. We look good together. We both like football, hiking, sunsets, and pastor, we both like Chick-fil-A. Wow, you guys are meant for each other. Really, you could marry anybody in Georgia with that kind of resume. What is it that God wants for you? And what does God want in a marriage? Often, the young star-crossed lovers are a little bit confused. The Bible begins with God's design. We've already read the verses, but this whole passage tells us that marriage is not a convention of the cavemen or a convention of the Romans or an idea that came and popped into some culture somewhere down the line in history, but it began in the earliest chapters of history where God Himself officiates the first wedding. It's God's idea. The foundation, the root of marriage, where it came from, is the heart of God. And when it comes from His heart, it's a good thing, isn't it? Before I mentioned this earlier, even before there were fathers and mothers or children, God tells Adam and Eve, following generations, marriage is designed to separate the children from the parents into a new covenant, a new relationship. And this union that God is about to establish, he says, even before parents, verse 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. I'm sure Adam and Eve looked around and said, wait a minute. Therefore, in all the coming generations, there is to be a separation and a mutually exclusive relationship between a man and a woman. (laughs) Just wondering if you're out there this morning. God created a man and a woman. Uh, Not Adam and Steve, but it was Adam and Eve that came together in the garden. It was just one monogamous relationship God called them together, made them on purpose as an example to the rest of time. He shall leave his father and mother, and this new union is to be characterized by a special bond of unity. He shall cleave to his wife. Marriage, therefore, is designed by God, was intended by God to bring a woman and man together as a composite unity. The divine glue is the covenant of marriage. And I want you to know this. Don't miss this. This is God's plan. It's God's idea. The best for society and the best for, of course, uh, those of us who understand God's heart for uh, marriage. I, I admit, not everyone is called to this. There's obviously those that God gives the gift of singleness. But 
Truly, as a general rule, this is God's plan for most. It's God's idea. God instituted it. And history begins with this marriage ceremony. History begin, human history begins with this marriage ceremony. And do you know Revelation 19, it ends with a marriage ceremony as well? Did you know that? And so it's, it's a tie together from the first book of the Bible to the last book of the Bible. Marriage is a recurring theme, and God is doing something. He didn't just say, okay, I think, I'll, I think it's just good for men and women to get married, so let's do that. And No, God is doing something with this template of marriage by which He is going to use marriage as a display of His own incredible, extreme love for humanity, and especially the church. He would come and love the bride of Christ to Himself, sacrifice for her, and one day He's coming for her. He's preparing a place for His bride, and one day there will be a marriage in heaven. You're going to be a part of that if you're a believer. God's going to call us home, snatch us away, rapture us to a wedding in heaven. And so the theme of marriage is a, uh, is, a, is a theme of the whole Bible. Dave Harvey in his book, When Sinners Say I Do, says this, Marriage was not just invented by God. He has a unique claim over its design, purpose, and goals. It actually exists for Him more than for us and our happiness It is a micro picture of his eternal plan to wed his bride and to bring us home to glory. That's God's foundational intention for this wonderful. The foundation of marriage is rooted in God, first for the expression of his grace, not just for romance and for the population to expand or meeting our needs or splitting the rent. Got to get married. It's cheaper. (laughs) Don't believe it. Uh, just No, there's no convenience factor in God's mind. It is rooted, of course, in His heart of redemption. Marriage is good, first of all, founded because God is good and designed it as a, a display, really the expression of the glorious, mysterious relationship of a God who would lay down His life for His bride. So every marriage is founded, first of all, every Christian marriage especially is founded in God's desire to express his own glorious love. Great. Secondly, you see that there is a function of marriage. The function of marriage can first be noted in verse 18 again. Notice there, as you look at that verse, the God, God is saying something. The Lord said, <clears throat> I, think he's, I think he's speaking within the Trinity. That's who he's saying this to. That's the audience. And, and I know that God is not surprised by the fact that Adam was created first. That was his intention and plan, just the role of authority and so forth. But the Lord looks down and he doesn't scratch his head, well, this is a surprise. Adam looks lonely. He doesn't say that. He does say, though it is not good that the man should be alone, I will make a help fit for him. Did you know the Bible in this, uh, the, uh, the preceding verses, chapter 1 and part of chapter 2, do you know that the Lord repeatedly says after He creates something, it's good, it's good, it's good. And finally, it's very good. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. You'll back up a, just a page perhaps. Verse 12, and God saw as He created the grass, the herb yielding seed, after its kind, God saw that it was good. And then verse 18, uh, God put these lights in the heaven 
And God saw that it was good. Evening and morning were divided. Verse 25, as you follow along, God made the beasts of the earth and the cattle after everything that creepeth upon the earth. It was after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And then verse 31, same chapter. As the chapter ends, God saw everything that he had made. Behold, it was very good. Adds that word, that qualifier. It's very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day after these six days of creation. He says, this is great. And yet on the sixth day, he says, wait a minute. Not all things here are good. There's something that's not good. What is it that's not good? It's not good. Uh, the next chapter, it's not good, uh, chapter 2, verse 18, that man should be, this is the first not good in the Bible, it's not good for man to be alone. I guess all of us who are husbands would say that is definitely true. Often I look at my wife and said, if you ever leave me, I'm going to come after you. I don't want you to leave me alone. <laughs> About three days, I will fall apart or less. Wouldn't take that long. Uh, and you know what? God knows it's not just because God knows we need an organizer in our life. That's not it. But he has a, a definite truth here. The, the, and I'm going to ask you a question just rhetorically here. Do you think that Adam, as God made him, was incapable or deficient in any way in terms of operational systems? What did God have in mind when he looked at Adam and says, Adam, you need help. Was it because Adam, in terms of his, um, his body and his system, all systems were working, circulatory, digestive, nervous, skeletal, respiratory, he had everything in place, right? He was a complete unit. He had a job to do. He was gardening. He was naming animals. He had plenty of food. He had a hunting dog. He had a garden. And it was, since it was perfect, I don't think, God, well, maybe there were mosquitoes. But he had it all, enough to eat. He's naming the animals, and what he's noticing is there's no reflector of me out there. There's, every animal has a, there's pairs of everything, but there's, for me, there's this missing element in my life. And God, of course, saw this. He says, that's not good for Adam to be alone. He's not incomplete in terms of independent ability to live without a woman, Rather, God highlights a functional truth about marriage. Marriage exists primarily to supply and satisfy the greatest need in our hearts for what? I guess we're not a Sunday school class this morning, but for what? What was missing? Intimacy, companionship, relationship, kinship. Marriage is the God-ordained, protected space for the complete sharing of two lives, sexually, emotionally, spiritually. The words help meet, I mentioned them earlier as they're listed for us in the King James, aren't words to demean Eve. It doesn't mean uh, that, that, that Adam needed a, a slave or a maid or a dishwasher. Does not, man, that does not mean that at all. It means this, that in the original, it means that God in His creative abilities realized that the missing part, and He isn't surprised by this, He's got a plan, is that there's not to Adam a corresponding helper. 
A corresponding helper. What does that mean? A reflection of His God-made uniqueness. Man being the hallmark of God's creation was missing that person that he could then talk to, relate to, communicate with, and worship alongside with. Someone who is made with a soul, spirit, body like he was. There was missing in every animal that that person called Eve. And God took from his side a rib. Not Adam was created the clay, but God took a rib close to his heart that he would cherish this creative act and brought Eve to him. You know, there was this aha moment. (laughs) That's who I've been missing. There she is. I don't know if God on the organ there in the garden played, here comes the bra. I don't know if that happened or not. First marriage ceremony. But ah, to have somebody that I can share my whole being with, unlike any of the other created animals or firmament in heaven, here she is, the one that can communicate intimately with me. I was on the porch yesterday, and a hummingbird flew in and stayed on a branch 10 feet away from me. This is hard because they're nervous creatures. Ten feet away from me, and I don't know if it's a she or a he hummingbird. I'm not that good. But uh, it stayed right there, and it was kind of looking at me, so I started a conversation with the hummingbird. Hey, how are you? It flittered around. Nothing. I got nothing from that hummingbird. And for about ten minutes, I tried to communicate. Nothing. When Adam realized that God had created a special creation for him that reflected a corresponding helper. He must have said, aha, Lord, this is it. It is good for man not to be alone. She completed him in that sense, even though he was a whole individual. And I didn't say he, she competed with him. She completed him in that sense. Paul said, I, I realize that not everybody's called. Paul said this, not everybody's called to the uh, the state of marriage. He said, I'm single. I have more time for ministry, but most will marry. Sadly, most will, many will marry for the wrong reasons. You might say that Adam could have said, great, I'm getting married to find a place where my sexual desires can find legitimate expression. Paul would say, so it's okay to think that way, not primarily. It's better to marry, he would say later in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, than to burn. But biblically, it is not the ultimate reason or primary function. Eve might have said, well, babies, I love babies. Great, be fruitful and multiply. But again, uh, that is not the primary reason. Or I need a protector in my life, so I'm going to get married. I need somebody that will help me pay the bills or at least provide for me and fix the flat tires and change the light bulb. No, that's not the primary, that you need a protector. That's part of what a husband provides. He doesn't provide for his household. He's worse than an infidel. But that's not the God primary God-ordained function. The primary purpose then of marriage is to, ve- to develop a ripening, a growing kinship, friendship with your spouse because that is what Adam and Eve needed, that intimate companion. I, uh, um, Robin and I often have discussions about this in our home and 
do you know that you can live, husbands and wives, married here, you can live under the same roof with somebody and be somewhat of a complete stranger. Don't raise your hand, but you can. Or go through seasons of separation and still even in those seasons of separation because you use the phone and you pray for and you communicate, be really close to the person you're married to. It's easy in living in the same home to be forgetting the primary function of marriage to develop a growing friendship and intimacy with that is heart related. How are you doing, men, with the primary calling in your marriage? You know, life is short, quickly passing us. God has called us to this intimacy of heart. The focus of marriage, before we close the message, is to be found in many passages. Many passage. The function, excuse me, is, is a growing kinship. The foundation, of course, is in God's heart, displays His own grace and love for the church. But lastly, the focus of marriage is this. We want to turn in a Bible to the book of Ephesians, a very familiar portion, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5. I just, and we'll read a few verses here, and then we're going to take a look at what the focus of marriage ought to be. Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll begin with the verses often omitted when we jump into the roles of, of marriage, husband and wife. Paul speaking here to a a church in Ephesus, and like any church, it was comprised of those who single, married, and so forth. Some were widowed, and and yet he's talking, addressing those that are married. And he says, first of all, I want you to know this, submit yourselves one to another in the fear of the Lord. Before we get all up in arms about the next verse, ladies, we have to understand that God has already set the table, that Submission is a mutual calling. As we submit ourselves to the Lord and the fear of the Lord, the next steps should not be as difficult. But notice, please, God's um, emphases in the next few verses. For the husband, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he's the Savior of the body. And I'm going to ask you a question when we're done reading. What is uh, better? I'm going to give it away. Who is the emphasis of these verses? Therefore, as, Christ, as, as the church is subject unto Christ, so the, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Not in some things, not on some days, but in everything. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. The picture is a bride adorned for the wedding. But that it should be holy and without blemish. God is preparing us for that final wedding day when we are fully perfected in him. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, that's obvious, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord does the church. God's in love with the church in a godly, righteous way in preparing, perfecting the church. For we are members of his body, his flesh, his bones. For this cause, we get this phrase again. We saw it way back in Genesis 2. For this cause... 
Shall a man leave his father and love, uh, mother and be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh? This is a great mystery that I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, for let every one of you in particular so love his wife as himself, and the wife see that she reverence, respect her husband. What would you say is the theme of all themes in terms of the focus of marriage? Well, is it submission? Is it service? Is it um, loving? What is it? Look at verse 21 again. Keep your eyes in the text and we see the words, fear of God, 22. Again, wives submit, most of the time we can't get past those two words, as unto what? The Lord, verse 23, Christ is the head. Verse 24, therefore as a church is subject unto Christ. Verse 25, Christ loved the church also loved the church and gave himself for it. There is a picture emerging here in marriage that Christ-centered homes ought to be the focus, that in our homes there ought to be a, a growing passion for loving Christ. And as I love Christ and love as Christ loved me, problems are eliminated or disappear or minimized. And then verse 30, we are joined to Christ. Verse 31 Love, of course, um, the Lord Jesus Christ and love your wife and your spouse for this reason, this focus, that your marriage, and I must say this, that your marriage would reflect accurately the portrait. This is the stewardship of marriage, that your marriage would reflect accurately the portrait of Christ displaying his love for lost humanity and his own bride, the church. So when the two come down and they join themselves, leaving father and mother, the wedding couple stands before the pastor, and what's he to do? What's he to say? Well, he's to take a divine paintbrush, so to speak. It's a, not one you can see, but he places it in the hands of those two, and it says, here it is, your calling, your focus in your marriage with whatever comes, highlights and valleys and struggles and joys and trials is to take this paintbrush and with the canvas of your life, young man, you're the leader in this, you are to paint a picture of how much God Loves the church. Every day, you're going to add to this masterpiece called your marriage. And as people walk by, as neighbors look in, and they watch you every day, you're painting, you're adding colors to the masterpiece of grace. And God knew that the best evangelistic tool in all the world would be your home. Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make His face to shine upon you.